Well, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, which is observed in churches uh, all around the country on the Sunday that falls the closest to the anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision that was handed down by the United States Supreme Court on January 22, 1973, that legalized abortion. Since 1983, uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday has been a time when people all over the country have come together to celebrate the intrinsic value of human life. And it also has given an opportunity to highlight the work of the many great people and great organizations that are serving in the cause of life. And today we have an insert in your bulletin uh, that tells you about Heartbeats of Licking County and Muskingum Valley, uh, which is a pro-life pregnancy center with offices in Newark and Zanesville. And what I would encourage you to do is to take that information, to begin to pray for those centers, consider, some of you may have it in your heart, to uh, consider volunteering with those organizations, consider giving financially to those organizations, and some of you may want to join with Rochelle in the ministry that she announced today and, and uh, help her make those uh, items that will express the love that uh, these centers and the people who serve in them have for the ladies that they minister to. There's also going to be an interest meeting. We'll have uh, more about this in the bulletin next week, but there will be an interest meeting on February 9th uh, led by Keisha Bell, who serves as our point person for pro-life ministries here at the church, uh, an interest meeting for those of you who may want to get involved in serving in the pro-life cause. So watch uh, for that. Additionally, we're blessed here at the church to have someone who is vocationally involved in the pro-life movement, uh, someone who is one of our leaders here, Jarrell Godsey. Uh, Jarrell is the vice president of Heartbeat International, which is an organization that resources and trains pro-life pregnancy centers all around the country and all around the world. And so I've asked Jarrell to come today and for a few minutes just share uh, some developments uh, in the pro-life cause, both nationally and internationally. He's going to tell you a little bit about that. And after he does, we're going to turn our attention to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to look at the dedication of Samuel, and we're going to pull from that a number of thoughts that we ought to have about children, thoughts that are good and right and godly, but that are unfortunately not shared by far too many people. So why don't you join me as we start off today by welcoming, welcoming Jarrell Godsey. Yeah, I was just reflecting... Um... Uh, been involved in the pro-life movement since, uh, officially since 1987 and uh, got involved full-time in 1996. So I've been at this for 18 years. I have the privilege of going all over the country and also now I've been in every single continent uh, relative to the work of Pregnancy Help Ministry. And I, there are some things that I realize that I know and I understand because I live this day in and day out that many times believers don't know themselves. And so let me start first. I know we're going to get into uh, the topic, and I always appreciate Pastor Brian's uh, s solid 
staunch stand on this very, very important issue uh, that is at the heart of the heart of God. And because we know a God who gives life, he is the giver of life because he gives the gift of life. And I believe it was uh, Mother Teresa said something to the effect of, you know, that every time a baby is born, it's a testament that God wants life to continue. And so he wants life to continue in us, both here on, on this earth and, of course, in an everlasting sense. And I, I'm always uh, mindful of what God's people are doing. So let me bring some information to you. You know that we've been wrestling, as uh, Pastor Brian mentioned, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Abortion has been illegal in our land uh, since uh, officially since 1973, and even actually a few years before that in several states. Um, I want to start first. Uh, m- let me make this disclaimer. I know when I talk to any audience, including uh, ones that I know, uh, abortion is a very delicate subject. I come at this personally with my own story. So I'm not here to cast condemnation or anything. I have my own issue with this. And fortunately, I've received healing for it. I am very aware that there is a scripture in the New Testament that says there is a sin unto death, but it is not abortion. God is the God of healing. God is the God of reconciliation. God is the God of restoration. God is the God who brings us back to himself. And nothing of that nature can prevent that. Okay? Nothing that you have done can prevent that unless you deny that. So with that being said, God's grace is abundant. Where, where sin abounds, grace does that much more abound. And let me tell you the grace that God has been doing, even in the midst of this very difficult situation. If you look back in history, major issues that we've dealt with, slavery being one of those, Nazi Germany and the, the, the Jewish Holocaust uh, in the last century, this is our issue today. And let me give you some good news. We are winning. Now, we've not won, but we are winning. And let me tell you, 1991, there were more than 2,000 standalone abortion clinics in the United States. Today, there are barely over 500. Yep. There are, there are uh, students, they, they, they've been doing this poll since the middle of the 90s, and the, the last few freshman uh, uh, polls on freshmen going into college has, rep- has been showing that these freshman college people are identifying themselves, the majority being pro-life. Yeah. So more and more of our young people are, are realizing that this doesn't make sense. That, that, that what's been foisted upon us the last 40 years simply doesn't connect, and they are reconnecting the dots and realizing that God is the God of life. He is the giver of life. And I just can only imagine what, these, what some of the parents of these pro-life young people are thinking, like, what did we do wrong? Because of the weirdness of the 60s and 70s. Some of you were there. You remember. Maybe a little too well. Or maybe not at all. That, that's a whole other question. But the good news is we are winning. There are, in the United States alone, there are, there are right around 2,500 pregnancy help centers just like Heartbeats of Licking County and now Muskingum Valley. There are 2,500 of those who are there to help people so that they would not ever have to feel forced into an abortion decision. And so around the country, we're seeing um, many things. In fact, the last two years have been the mo- last year was the most pro-life laws passed in our nation 
you know, ever since Roe v. Wade. And I'm talking about state laws, city laws, uh, nothing big on the federal level, but God is on the move. And those things are happening. And so we need to work at every single level. Those that are facing the issue, those that are confronting it from a political standpoint, those that are wrestling with it even in certain areas that we come in day to day. We always need to, as in the, as in, uh, the words of one of my favorite uh, Christian artists, speak life. Right? And not only on the U.S. level are things happening, but internationally there are some amazing things going on. I personally just talked to the last couple months a, uh, a, a couple of very courageous young people who have started a pregnant, pregnancy help center, one of the very first, there's, there's two of them now, the, one of the very first pregnancy help centers in China. Now, do you understand what that means? They're going to help people defy the nation's one-child policy. Okay, that is not a small thing, but I, but I just can't... can't Get past thinking about those that worked in the Underground Railroad and helped slaves escape from that. I can't think, help but think of those that, that rescued Jews like uh, Corey Ten Boom and others who helped them get to places where they could be safe and, and experience all that God's uh, 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 wanted for them. And I, I just, I'm, so China's happening. There are some amazing things going on. Um, uh, even though, like for instance, in South America, which we were at just a few months ago, Abortion is illegal in most of the nations. And by the way, there are forces trying to undo that. It doesn't mean, just because it's illegal doesn't mean it's not happening. And so there are people rising up all across the globe to address this. So any opportunity that you have to help uh, Heartbeats of Licking County, Pregnancy Decision Health Centers, if you live in the Franklin County area, they're also in Lancaster. Anything that we can do to stand together in this, um, with this issue before us, And that we would stand as God's people affirming God's gift because he truly is the giver of life because he gives the gift of life. And together, just like we were praying for Danielle to go and uh, for John uh, uh, to go to the mission field, there is a mission field created by abortion. And we need to reach out and constantly be serving in that. So it's a privilege to be in a church and to fellowship with you as we together we stand with God on, on this issue. Thank you. Thanks, Jarrell. It's good to get some good news, isn't it? That was an incredible stat. I did not realize that. From over 2,000 to just a little over 500. That is amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Jarrell. Well, our culture has a lot of messed up thinking about children, a lot of wrong thoughts uh, about children. And nowhere is it more messed up than on this topic that today is set aside to discuss and that Jarrell uh, has been talking the topic of abortion. And uh, I concur with everything that Jarrell just said about God's grace. And, and actually, I had that whole, whole uh, speech that he just give, uh, gave planned. But, but just know that I agree with that. And so nothing that I say here today contradicts that in any way. God's grace is here for every person whose life has been touched by abortion. And yet, we feel that as a church, we have a responsibility to speak truthfully on this topic. And nowhere is people's thinking messed up more when it comes to children than on this topic of abortion. I submit to you today that to be pro-choice, to support the ability to legally choose abortion 
a person has to have come to one of two beliefs. They have to either believe that a fetus is not a human being, or they have to believe that a fetus is a human being, but we should be able to abort it anyway. The first belief is logically and scientifically unsupportable. And the second belief is morally reprehensible, truly barbaric. In our supposedly increasingly scientific age, millions upon millions of people, supposedly great lovers of science, just want to uh, go where the facts lead, have chosen to believe what is logically and scientifically unsupportable. And in a country where millions upon millions proclaim their great concern for the least among us, trumpet their social justice credentials far and wide, they nevertheless support the truly barbaric acts that are committed against those who truly are the least among us. Those who truly are the most vulnerable and the most defenseless. And so, friend, there is no clearer example of wrong thinking in our culture about children than this topic about abortion. I say again to you that if your life has been touched in that way, we want you to find God's grace. And many of you here today have found God's grace. If you have not, and any discussion of this topic causes you to be weighed down with guilt and condemnation, then here's what I would appeal to you today. At the conclusion of this service, we are going to have people up here at the front of this auditorium who want to pray for you and want to help you find the grace that God wants you to receive. And so if you're here today and this whole discussion uh, just causes you to feel weighed down, come up today. I believe that God wants to lift that weight off of you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to release you uh, from the condemnation that you feel. So I hope that you will do that, but we have to tell the truth. Our culture just has wrong thoughts all over the place about children. Many people have, and this ties into the topic of, of abortion, many people have lost the desire to have children. They, they see the responsibility of children as outweighing the benefits of children. And so they go their whole lives pursuing their interests and their desires without the responsibility of someone who would be dependent upon them and mess up their fun. Many people, even professing Christians, believe uh, that their role in their child's life is to expose them to all the world has to offer, all the different options that are available, career options, lifestyle options, religious options, to lay it all out in front of them and then say in a very soft voice, with a very, very affectionate twinkle in their eye, now you choose, honey, whatever path is most appealing to you. In a strange twist, while children in the womb are seen as non-human or humans without any right to life, 
born children by many people, even professing Christians, become gods to their parents. And some of you wished we would just keep focusing on abortion today. But they become gods to their parents. The child is esteemed so highly that objectively they are esteemed more highly than God himself. They become idols to their parents, the object of their parents' worship. Wrong ideas, wrong thoughts all over the place about children, and they are prevalent, so prevalent in our culture. Today, from the Bible, from the first Samuel story of the birth and dedication of Samuel, We want to allow the Word of God to impact our thinking about children. We want to receive from the Word of God some right thoughts about children. So if you have your Bible, I'd ask you to follow along as I read verses 10 through 11 of 1 Samuel 1. And then we'll also look at verses 21 through 27. Here's what they say. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. And prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now skipping down to verse 21. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him only. May the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old boy, a boy, bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Now, we're mainly going to focus on the next couple of verses that I'm going to read. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. From these verses, I want to just pull out a few right thoughts about children, and here's the first one. The desire to have children is a God-given desire. It comes from God. It is placed in us by God. And you see this in Hannah. She is greatly distressed at not having a child. And it's obvious from the text that this is her great concern and her deep desire. She wants a child. This has been placed in us by God from the very beginning. It's been this way from the beginning. In Genesis 1, as we're meeting our very first ancestors, we're told of Adam and Eve that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. From the very beginning, God placed within mankind a desire 
a desire within men and women to have children. He placed within them a responsibility to have children, to be fruitful, to increase in number. This desire for kids is a God-given desire. And I feel comfortable making this next statement. Some of you may disagree with me, but I, I think it's right. I, I think that when there is no desire for children, something is not the way that it ought to be in us. Now, we have to be careful here. The Bible does not tell us how many people or how many children people ought to have. It does say that if you have a lot of them, you're blessed. It does say that. But it doesn't tell us how many children we should have. So, spouses, if there is a disagreement in your home as to how many children you are to have, please do not use the words that I speak here today to beat your spouse over the head. This is a, how many is a debatable topic. You need to talk amongst yourselves. Come up with a good decision for you. But here's what I want to focus on. When there is no desire for any children, I think something is amiss. Something is off. Because I believe this is a desire that God places on the inside of all of us. I don't think it's going too far to say it's an indication that a culture has turned away from God when in increasing numbers people have lost the desire to have children. You realize that the Western world is in the midst of a population crisis. And it's not overpopulation. If you've heard the problem in the world is overpopulation, you've heard wrong. The problem, at least in the Western world, is that populations are dying off. You need 2.1 children per woman in a developed country to maintain population levels. In many of the Western European countries, the uh, births per woman are between 1 and 1.4. Some places even lower than that. We're not having enough kids to sustain population levels. The desire for children is gone. And in part, Western civilization is at risk of dying out because of it. There are entire nations that their public officials are trying to figure out how do we encourage people to have kids. This didn't used to be a problem. God built in some real motivators for having kids. <laughs> but uh, it's not working anymore. If you're someone who is married and of childbearing age and you have no desire for children, I would encourage you to just examine what's going on there. And now maybe God has called you and your spouse to, uh, to, to remain that way for some specific reason, but 
it's possible that there is something amiss that you need that you need to allow God to work on in your life because the desire for children is God given it is the natural disposition of people created in the image of God here's the second right thought about children children are a gift from God they're a gift from God note Hannah's prayer If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. She recognized children as being a gift from God. The 127th Psalm, verses 3 through 5, very famous passage of Scripture. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. That's the New Living Translation. Hannah recognized children as a gift from God in verse 11. And again in verse 27, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. Every single child who comes into this church every Sunday morning is a gift from God. And your children, mom and dad, are gifts from God. And they should be appreciated as such. They should be valued as such. They should be cared for as such. I mean, think about this. Children are a gift from the hand of God himself. I mean, think of somebody who, who, who is really important to you that yeah, maybe somebody you kind of idolize and, and just imagine that they come into your life and they present you with some really valuable gift, how you would feel. That's what children are from the hand of God. Children are directly from God. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are, they are an expression of love from God to us. And they should be valued as such, protected. When you look at them, you should be reminded of God's love for you. You should treat them as a gift from God ought to be treated. You can't get better than a gift from God. They deserve the utmost care and in the proper sense, respect. Now, Children are not like an heirloom, so they don't sit quietly on a shelf, as you know. So these are gifts from God that you occasionally have to sit yourself down and remind yourself, convince yourself that they really are a gift. Sometimes it feels like, you know, if I repeat this to myself 500 times, then I think I will believe it. This mouthy teenager is a gift from God. One, this mouthy teenager is a gift from God. Two, this mouthy teenager is a gift from God. 500, not convinced yet. Uh, This mouthy teenager is a gift from God. 501, yes, they are. They're a gift from God. They're a gift that will take everything you have and more to properly care for. But they are a gift from God. And they should be valued and treated as such. Which means, among other things, that they deserve to have you actively investing in them. Giving your time to them. Giving them your knowledge. Giving them your presence much more than any things that you can give them. 
Our culture only values children as gifts when they are convenient. When they require an investment that's difficult, society no longer looks at them as gifts. Have you ever noticed that in a wanted pregnancy, preborn children are never referred to as a fetus? They already have a name, usually. It's already my little boy or my little girl, and that's among pro-choice folks. They're a gift as long as they're convenient. When they require the embrace of difficulty, society no longer views them as gifts. But the biblical truth is that children are a gift from the Lord. May we value them as such. May we care for them as such. May you care for your own children as such. But may you also value all of the children that God has entrusted to this place as gifts from the Lord. Here's our third right thought about children from today's text. The best thing that you can do for your child is to give him or her to the Lord. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Now, obviously, the specific context of this dedication is unique to the life of Samuel. Uh, Hannah had prayed for Samuel, promising that if God would grant her request... She would give him to the Lord for his entire life, for a lifetime of service as a part of the priesthood. And his training was to start very early in his life. Once Samuel was born, Hannah cared for him until he was weaned. Speculation is that she cared for him until he was around uh, three years old or so. And then verse 24 tells us that after he was weaned, she took the boy to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. She presented him to Eli the priest, and she made good on her promise to give this boy to the Lord for all the days of his life. So from this very young age, probably around three years old or so, Samuel would live with Eli in the house of the Lord and embark on a lifetime of service to God. Now, I want you to just imagine what that took from Hannah. The devotion to God that that took to take that little boy and leave him and then go return home. Quite a commitment. How Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord is very specific. It's a very unique situation. But Hannah has served for Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years as a model of godly parenting. Because though the specifics in our case will look different, her example is applicable to all of us. The best thing that you can do for your child is give him or her to the Lord. To dedicate your child to a lifetime of service to God. And this is what we do every time that we have a child dedication around here. But really the dedication is just a commitment we make. It's then the walking out of it that is what's really important. We're recognizing our children as the gift from God that they are when we dedicate them. 
and we're committing ourselves to give them back to the Lord, to raise them in a way that demonstrates our love for God, our allegiance to God, to to raise them in a way that purposely, intentionally tries to influence them toward God. And our hope in doing those things is that they will grow and they will come into a relationship with God and they will willingly surrender themselves to him and offer their lives up to him for an entire lifetime of worship and service. What we're doing, that's, that's how we go about giving our children back to the Lord. When we give our children back to the Lord, when we raise them in a way that that tries to influence them for God, we are recognizing God's rightful role, God's rightful place in our children's life. Children are a gift from God. That means that before they were ours, they were his. And they remain his. Why? Because everything is his. I've referenced this verse a lot around here lately. Psalm 50, 12, God says, For the world is mine and all that is in it. Your children are God's through creation. They are God's also through redemption. God created them. Christ died for them. They are doubly his. When we give our children back to the Lord, when we raise them in a way that influences them toward a relationship with God, we're recognizing God's rightful role, rightful place in their lives. This is why a Christian parent should never see their job as presenting all the options that are available in the world without influencing their child toward the one option that is the life-giving option. A parent should always be appealing, should always be modeling, should always be working to bend their child toward the only option that offers them a relationship with the true and living God and the only option that allows their child to enter into eternal life. You can't guarantee the outcome, but if you're giving your child to the Lord, If you're not giving your child to the Lord, rather, you are doing a disservice to both your child and to God. When we give our children to the Lord, we recognize God's rightful place in our lives, and we recognize our proper role in our children's lives. What is your proper role? What is my proper role? You can say this a number of different ways, but but here's what I think our role is. We are partners with God in working toward our children becoming the people God created them to be. Partners with God. The kind of people we want them to be are people who will worship Him and serve Him for their entire lives, people who will influence others toward Him, and people who receive the eternal life that God offers through Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for your children. And that's your proper role in your child's life. A partner with God influencing them toward becoming the person God created them to be. This is a great way to approach every decision that we make as parents. 
Will this decision help my child become the person that God created them to be? Because here's the reality. We talk about being stewards of money around here every once in a while, but the truth is you are simply a steward of your child. They're not yours. They belong to God. God has entrusted what is his to you to be cared for according to his purposes. You're his partner to help them become what he wants them to be. This is an important role, but it is important for us to understand that it is a subordinate role. You are subordinate in your child's life to God. What did we talk about last week that the book of 1 Samuel is going to reveal to us that all the kings served uh, with the approval of God as long as they did what God said to do. And as parents, we are subordinate to God. We have a responsibility to lead our children the way he wants us to. You're not free to raise your kids however you want. I'm not. We have a responsibility to raise our kids according to God's wishes, according to God's will for them. So your children belong to God. Both you and your children are called to worship God with your lives. Now let me mention what is probably the most damaging thing that you can do for your child. This thing disrespects God's rightful place in their life and yours, and this thing fails to appreciate your role in your child's life, which is being God's partner. If you want to damage your children and fail in your role in their lives, here's what you do. Worship them. Worship your child. Now, Brian, are you really suggesting that some parents worship their kids? Absolutely, I am. As Christians, our chief concern must be to live for God, to please God. But for many of us, I'm not exempting myself here, if our hearts could really be laid bare our true motivations revealed, what we discover is that our children have a much higher priority in our lives than God does. And that it's more important to us to make them happy than it is to please Him. Now, we spiritualize all of this. We tell ourselves that our radical devotion to our children is godly. After all, God loves kids and he wants us to care for them and love them. That's why he put us in their lives. But friends, if your highest devotion is to your child rather than God, if you are more concerned with your child's happiness than you are pleasing God, you have an idol in your house. It might be a cute idol. <laughs> it might be lovable. Might have really soft skin. But you've got an idol. Don't raise your hands, but do you? Examine yourself. Do you? 
Hannah loved Samuel. It was the answer to her prayers. It was her heart's desire. But she loved God more or she would have never taken him to Shiloh. She would have said, thanks God, I appreciate the answered prayer, (laughs) but I can't part with this little guy. I can't do it. She loved Samuel, but he wasn't an idol to her, or she would have never given him back to the Lord. Here are some clues that you might have an idol in your house. If there is no room in your life for social connection with anyone other than your children, you might have an idol in your house. I'm just going to charge full ahead. If you can't attend Connect Group because of the children, you might have an idol in the house. If you can't serve in ministry because of the children, you might have an idol in the house. If you constantly excuse your child's bad behavior, you might have an idol in the house. If you can't handle it when your child gets angry at your discipline, you might have an idol in the house. If you try to shield your child from all negative consequences or protect them from any failure, you might have an idol in the house. And one that I'm wrestling with a lot right now, if you can't give your child age-appropriate independence, you might have an idol in the house. Can't let them out of my sight. All up to me to keep them safe. God, you can't do this. I got to do it. I have an idol in the house. Some of the best parenting advice that can ever be received worship God, not your child. Be more concerned with living for God and pleasing Him than you are with making your child happy. You'll be a better parent. I'll be a better parent if we'll do that. Look at verse 27. And he worshiped the Lord there. So Hannah takes little Samuel to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. She presents him to Eli. She's going to leave him there because she's fulfilling this promise to give him to the Lord. And chapter 1 ends, and it is speaking of Samuel, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that means little three-year-old Samuel worshiped the Lord. That's, That's an interesting thought. It might mean that. It might mean that this was now the place where he was going to grow and worship the Lord throughout his lifetime. I I think it probably means both, actually. I have a feeling that something was going on in the heart of this little guy that he worshiped the Lord. And here's what I think we see in this. We see the ultimate goal of parenting. The ultimate goal of parenting. It is to have your child become a person who gives their lives in worship to the Lord.
I've shared in recent messages that we're not guaranteed what the outcome will be. Our children have to choose to surrender to God for themselves. But our goal is to partner with God to influence them to become people who will worship Him throughout their entire lives. Is that your goal? Is that my goal? It ought to be. That's a better goal than then getting a full ride scholarship to an Ivy League school. It really is. It's a better goal than them becoming a successful CEO or small business owner. It's a greater goal than them becoming financially independent. It is a greater goal than any of the temporal goals that we have for our children. Now, obviously, any of those things that I just mentioned might be a part of God's plan for your child's life. But the goal is that they would grow to be people who would worship him throughout their entire lives. All these other things are just questions of how they might go about worshiping him with their lives. Right thoughts about children. The desire to have them is a God-given desire. They are gifts from God. The best thing you can do for them is give them to the Lord, recognizing God's rightful place in your rightful role, Worship God, not your child, and make the ultimate goal as a parent that your children would give their entire lives to the worship of God. Our culture is full of thinking that directly contradicts all of that. And yet from the word of God, we find today that these are the right ways to think about our children. We see these things modeled in Hannah, and we ought to follow her example. Why don't you stand?